But I've got a philosophy about people. I mean all people, Sam. They're the same all over. I'm sure that when God made human beings, he developed them from a fixed formula. They'd be the same here on Earth as in the furthest reaches of space. People on Mars. Wherever they're able to exist, they'd be the same. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I am Kevin. And we hope you guys didn't age too much in between episodes. I know it feels like it's been a little while for me, but hopefully I'm not a pile of dust yet. Yeah. And uh, with Valentine's Day coming up, hopefully no scorned past lovers have come back to <laughs> get their vengeance on you. Yeah. That's the, 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 don't, don't go posting fi- pictures if you had a new love because you might have an old lady come and, and shoot you. All right. Yeah. Enough, <laughs> enough about Walter Jameson. He lived long enough. Now we're on to uh, uh, season one, episode 25. People are alike all over. Uh, air date, March 25th, 1960. Uh, number one song, again, is Theme from Summer Place by Percy Faith and his orchestra. Number one film, and I think, Kevin, you'll be interested in this. It's a film called Seven Thieves. Are you familiar with oh. it? Uh, no, I'm not. It's a black and white noir crime drama with Rod Steiger. The trailer looks like Ocean's Eleven with like seven people. It's like oh, these yeah, people are trying to break good. into. Oh, I've a vault. I've seen the poster before. Yeah, it's a cool looking. Um, I just the, the trailer was like kind of like a fun casino like job, and everybody had their roles and everything. So I was like, wow, this feels like this is like Motion's Eleven came out what like sixty sixty three something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. That that, that didn't uh, where was it? it? It didn't do that well, so it's kind of forgotten. But I feel like it it kind of was there first. Now that seeing that trailer. Oh no! Ocean's Eleven was uh, 1960. Oh, and it was in color. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> strange. Right. So there you go. Like I like that. It's like we have competing uh, heist movies. Well, we're gonna do ours in black and white. Well, good luck being wrong side of history there. Seven Thieves. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And the uh, the IMDb ratings uh, definitely reflect that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a shame. All right, so no, it's it's got a 6.6. It's good. It's not uh, bad. Yeah. Uh, so, right, the, this day in history... We're, Whoa, we're, hold on, I'm sorry. Uh, Ocean's Eleven also has a 6.6. Uh-oh. So oh, you're saying oh, that man. they're really the same. So there needs to be a remake of Seven Thieves. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, all right. So uh, we're going to get our history right this week, I hope, um, versus last week when we uh, wildly said yeah, things so, that weren't true. So March 25th, uh, 1960, was D-Day. Really? No, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, wait a second, that can't be right. Um, yeah, I was like, wait, D Day? That's that was no. All right, so I do have some facts from that actual day. Uh, so on the twenty fifth of March, uh, the severed head of Oliver Cromwell 
uh, Lord Protector of the Commonwealth of England, Scotland and Ireland. Uh, he was the, in the 1600s, was reburied in an undisclosed location um, at, at Sydney Sussex College, Cambridge, after th- 300 years. So uh, the body had been unearthed in 1658 to place it on display, but the head, I guess, was just not there with the body. So that is weird that yeah, they that found the head of him. Yeah. Uh, and then also, you say he was uh, on display. Yeah, oh, tangentially uh, connected here. A little bit on display. Uh, what was it for? Uh, had it been kept by several generations of a family for 150 years? I don't know if that means the body or the head. Either way, that's strange. Um, and then also on the 26th, just because I like putting some sports facts out there for all our sports fans, the Minneapolis Lakers play their last NBA game before going uh, to Los Angeles to become the Lakers. Ah. So a topical. lot of things moving. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, and then also topical. This is not topical for the good reasons. Uh, also on the 26th, various Ku Klux Klan groups had burned crosses all along the highways in Alabama and South Carolina, apparently in retaliation for sit-ins by African-Americans at lunch counters. So that is unfortunately feels like that's still a little relevant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's. I just wanted. To, I just wanted to mention history. I don't want to like spark a debate, but I was just like, wow, there was a lot of shit going on then. People finding heads, teams moving, stuff on fire. It was a crazy time. <laughs> teams moving. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm all sure of, there, there, all of those are equal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's some people in Minneapolis that would have not forgiven the the Lakers for moving. So, all right. Anyway, that's it. That's it for my my history. So, we can get into to cast and crew. All right, so people are alike all over. Um, this is based on a short story by Paul W. Fairman, which was in, and I have it next to me, and I shut the book, uh, Fantastic Adventures from uh, 1952, I believe. Um, yeah, Rod Serling took the story and did the teleplay, and then this episode was directed by uh, Mitchell Lison, who we talked about on the Escape Clause episodes, episode and uh 16 millimeter shrine yeah this would be the last of the episodes that he directed so i guess he only did the first season and that was it so but yeah. yeah and then uh i forgot to mention uh paul w fairman this was the only one of his stories that was ever translated into a twilight zone episode hmm. um interesting because we were talking about this before the show about how he wrote a lot of stuff for for that that pulp magazine and how uh sterling would pull from a lot of different sources and it seems like that you know it's it's odd for someone to have one one up here and then not another you know like because he seems like he yes he would go to the well yeah and especially uh the story uh feels like something serling probably would have written yeah and it it feels like some later serling stuff as well that i'm sure we'll talk about at some point yeah Um, yeah so we'll jump into the cast here we have roddy mcdowell most importantly here um, as Sam Conrad, one of the astronauts, who, if you don't know who Roddy McDowell is, you should definitely look him up. Uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic actor. And it was so funny. I, uh, I totally forgot he was in this. And earlier today, I was listening to the soundtrack from Legend of Hell House. And like I was unrelated? thinking, I was like, like, what you're, is that? You're just listening to it unrelated to this episode? Yeah, yeah, I was just happened to be in the mood for it. I actually, I was looking for a new uh, phone wallpaper, and I was like, oh, I should get the poster from Legend of Hell House. And then it sparked me to listen to the soundtrack, because there's some really cool sound effects that uh, go on in the background of that film. 
And then I started just thinking about the movie. And I was like, I need to rewatch that. And then sat down to watch this episode, and there's Roddy McDowell. Nice. Man, every, everything's all connected. <laughs> um, but so yeah, Legend of Hell House. Uh, he was in Fright Night, which that's another big one that that people always go to. Um, yeah. <laughs> the biggest one, which is almost I almost don't want to say it, uh, is uh, Planet of the Apes, where he played uh, a couple different apes in that in that film series. Yeah, I think most notably was it Cornelius. I think so. Yeah. Um, uh, and his yeah. Fi- yeah, his final film was A Bug's Life. So it doesn't feel like that was that long ago, but that was a uh, pretty long time ago. Yeah. What year was that? I It was early. Let's see. I got to look that up now. That 1998. Was, there we go. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that is almost 20 years ago. That's insane. Um, yeah, Roddy McDowell, the only Twilight Zone appearance. That's surprising. And, uh, yeah, I it, it, it is. And he went on to bigger and better things very shortly after this. Um, more specifically, Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, it must have been something there that like Sterling must have saw and been like, you know what? I don't, I don't think uh, Sterling controlled the casting, but you know, word of mouth has to. There had to be something, you know, to influence. Because I mean, we've had um, there was some other Planet of the Apes reference here too. I forget. No, it was it was the uh, the story we saw uh, with the three astronauts stuck in Nevada. Uh, was oh, yeah. I shot an arrow into the air? How that was basically a rough, a rough take on Planet of the Apes. So you can see that it's still kind of building up here. Yeah, and you can definitely see some parallels between this plot and Planet of the Apes. <laughs> and he actually, Sterling uh, does compare um, uh, Roddy McDowell to an ape at one point in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe he's just like, hey, you kind of look like a monkey. Uh, I'm gonna make you one. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, all right. We got Roddy McDowell as Sam Conrad. Then we have Paul Comey as his uh, uh, his partner, uh, his other astronaut, uh, as Mark Marcuson. Yeah, or Moccasin, as I kept thinking that McDowell kept saying the entire time was Moccasin over and over again. Um, <laughs> Mark, I just realized his name was Mark Marcuson. <laughs> I think I thought it was uh, was I thought it was Warren Marcuson, but I like Mark Marcuson better. I think that's a better name. That's a was it Warren? I th- I yeah, it so. is Warren. <laughs> Why did I write down Mark Marcuson? Here we go again. Because it's like a Stan Lee type thing. That's Mark Marcuson, astronaut. It's like I- Stick Stickley from uh, <laughs> Nickelodeon in the nineties. Um, yeah, it was Warren Mark Markison. Okay. Um, yeah, he was a just kind of character actor. Did two other Twilight Zone episodes. We'll see him in the future. Um, looked like he was in a Star Trek episode. Yes, he I was. Actually wrote down. Yeah. Was it was it anything noteworthy? I could not tell you, other than the name is Balance of Terror, which that seems to be like one that I've heard of before. But there was only a handful. Really, realistically, there's not that many original Star Trek episodes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, did you did you yeah, catch you the saying, Cleveland connection? Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Cleveland connection. Was no, in, I didn't. He was in Howard the Duck. Oh, okay. Which was based in Cleveland, but shot in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he was in Death Wish too, a few other movies, uh, Cape Fear, which I don't know if I just said, but uh, yeah, didn't really recognize him from anything. Yeah, although he was in quite a bit. <laughs> um, then we have Susan Oliver as Tina. One of the Martians, uh, Roddy McDowell's Martian love interest of sorts. Uh, only Twilight Zone episode and another Star Trek actor. Yeah, the fun thing about her is that in the end credits of Star Trek, in the original series, you always saw a green-skinned, uh, quote-unquote, Orion slave girl. That was her. Mm-hmm. 
So she oh. was in the end credits. So she became more famous for that than because she was actually and not to. I mean, if you guys want to talk Star Trek, we'll talk Star Trek. But she was the original pilot of Star Trek: uh, The Cage. And um, so then whenever they brought that back into um, uh, the the actual series, because they did a two part um, a thing called the Glass Menagerie, where they they did a flashback to that pilot and made it part of the series. Uh, she was in that. So hmm. she was actually in the original Star Trek that never made it to air until later. Interesting. All right. Well, there's our Star Trek talk for today. <laughs> oh, no, we're not done. But <laughs> you'll, you'll oh, see. there's more? Yeah. But also, I want to point out that she was actually a pilot, too. Uh, she was the fourth woman to fly a single-engine aircraft solo from Atlantic Ocean, uh, from uh, across the Atlantic Ocean, and to do it from New York City. So she actually had a pretty interesting life. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, way to go, team ya. <laughs> I, think, I think she's still with us, too. I, I, I could be. I, I don't want to speak ill of the living. So anyway, all right. Yeah, team ya. Yeah, she is still alive. <laughs> uh, no, she isn't. Oh. <laughs> I, just, I can't what, read again. Was it uh, May 10th, 1990. Oh, okay. My mistake. Uh, yeah, passed away. Um, all right. So then we have Byron Morrow, uh, plays another Martian. Only Twilight Zone uh, he was in. He had a ton of credits. I didn't really recognize him from anything. I don't know if you caught anything on there. Uh, he was in two Star Trek episodes. That's why I just wanted to mention okay. there. Uh, he All was right. in the failed 70s TV show on NBC or early 80s called Super Train. That was their attempt at uh, trying to do the love boat. So this was like a really, like you should look into Super Train's history. That that show spent so much money trying to recapture a concept that was goofy at best with this large train that would go across the country and have guest stars and all this other stuff. All I know is that's called Super Train and it sounds amazing. Yeah, the the train looks awesome. Look up <laughs> look up some pictures of the train. Uh, our listeners, if you get a chance, oh man, that looks terrible. <laughs> I gotta, yeah, I, <laughs> take a TV star home purchase. Uh, you can buy. Oh man, you can buy some track from. Okay, I'm I'm falling down a rabbit hole. Sorry. Uh, you can follow all us right, on the our only Super other train person podcast. I wrote down. Yeah. What was that? I'm so sorry. You could follow us on our Super Train podcast for starting up. It's going to be a short run of Super Train episodes, but we'll, we'll cover all of them. Um, we should cover that uh, at the end of the season as a nice. bonus episode. That'd be fun. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. The only other person I took notes down for was uh, Vic Perrin, who also played another Martian. Uh, it looked like he had a pretty big career as a voice artist doing a bunch of Hanna-Barbera cartoons yeah so also in Star Trek I just wanted to mention because almost every <laughs> every person that we talked about except for Roddy McDowell was in Star Trek in this episode so I thought that was funny uh, Vic Perrin is interesting because he uh, is, he was the control voice in The Outer Limits like when you hear uh-huh. the beginning of the TV show he's like we, we can control the vertical and the horizontal um, and then yeah he someone quoted some so, someone quoted about him saying Vic Perrin is one actor who makes more money when he's not seen on camera than when he is. <laughs> oh man, that's a backhanded uh, no, compliment. He, there. he was like a, the voiceover guy for like everything. Yeah, um, yeah, that's all I have as far as cast. Uh, one more Martian listed, Vernon Gray as another Martian. I did not take any notes for him though. Neither did I. But I'm going to assume that he was in four episodes of Star Trek. I just, I'm just going to call him now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, so spoiler, uh, this might be Paul's favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. The more Star Trek in it, the better. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. That's like we're dealing with Martians, <laughs> and most of them are going to be on Star Trek. So they're used to walking around sound stages 
and and you know whatever so all right enough about that let's just get to serling you're looking at a species of flimsy little two-legged animal with extremely small heads whose name is man warren markison age 35 Samuel A. Conrad, age 31. They're taking a highway into space. Man unshackling himself and sending his tiny groping fingers up into the unknown. Their destination is Mars. And in just a moment, we'll land there with them. More like crash land. Like immediately. Tiny groping fingers. That yeah. is also topical. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, did you, okay. So this is your first time. Well, you said you had seen, you think you'd seen this before, but yes, okay. when I got the, got to the twist, I realized I had seen this before, but I forgot it cause it's been so long ago. So it was like watching it for the first time. So when I went to go back to rewatch it to capture sound and get some images, uh, it is so obvious at the beginning where it's going. And I did not think twice about it, uh, with the opening shot of, uh, um, Sam Conrad and uh, Moccasin, like they're behind that um, that fence, that uh, the chain link fence talking, and the camera mm-hmm. stays in front of the fence, looking at the both of them talking, and then Serling's intro about how man is a, a small fleshy animal or whatever he says. It's like it is right there in front of you, and all you have to do is be like, "Oh, that's it!" the entire time. And I, I'll give credit to the episode; I didn't see it until the second time through. Yeah, well, that and. Uh as you bring that up, I'm thinking of the scene uh, where they're closing him back into the ship later on and uh, starts to close the door and ends up keeping it open because he doesn't want to be locked in there again. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. We're, we're jumping far ahead, but that is a great, a great, uh, great thing to notice there. Um, so, yeah, this episode starts with Conrad and uh, Marcuson. Uh, the night before they launched to Mars, as you mentioned, standing behind the fence watching uh, them prep the rocket and just kind of discussing how it's it's weird that they're spending their last day on Earth w- looking at the vessel that they're going to spend pretty much the next the, for the foreseeable future locked inside. Yeah, because uh, I know um, uh, Marcuson says, you know, if it's your last day on Earth, you go enjoy Earth. And here we are just staring at this thing. And, then, and then you find out that uh, Conrad... Like it's just like you really begin to wonder what what they pitched to him to get to get him on board with this whole thing because there is uh, intellectual curiosity, but his terrible fear of of the unknown seems to be much greater than his drive to know what's out there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so yeah, and uh, Marcuson kind of calms him down, and uh, where they get the title of the episode, he says, uh, "No matter what's out there, I think uh, people are going to be alike all over." And that uh, since uh, since God made humans and the universe, uh, everything, wherever there can be life, everything will be the same, which is a kind of questionable science. But uh, <laughs> you, I'll, I'll let that go. <laughs> I, I, I would put it as a hopeful optimism, like that person of like, well, if there's people out there. There's going to be good ones, too. Right. I mean, that's like that's his whole thought. Um, so I could see how someone like that is excited to go whenever you have the one guy who constantly overthinks everything. It seems is like, yeah, you know what? I'm not so sure about that. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll jump in. It, this is pretty faithful to the short story. I just want to mention uh, the major difference between the short story and this is that uh, Conrad does not go into space and uh, Marcuson is the one. He's the only one going up there by himself 
And Conrad actually gives him that advice before he leaves and says, if there's people on Mars, um, they're probably going to be just like us. Yeah. And then Marcuson goes by himself. And that's pretty much the only change to this. Other than that, you get a description of what the aliens sound like. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like in, in this, um, I feel like the first half of this episode is kind of a waste. I mean, there's some interesting beats here and there. But they, it takes its time getting to what's really going on. I'm not even talking about the twist. I'm talking about Mars itself. You know, yeah. it feels like there could have been a little bit more of a table setting. So when you pull the the tablecloth from out underneath everything, at that point, it would, I think it would have been much bigger um, than just having them be on the spaceship and then have Moccasin doesn't quite make it. I know that's I'm, I'm not trying to jump ahead, but the spaceship crashes suddenly and amazingly. Um, yeah. With the same noise, I don't know if you've picked up the music cue, it's the same noise from Mr. Death that we've heard over and over again on the show. So, yeah. Um, no, I, I did not pick up on that. It's, um, it's this noise. And, uh, and, and they, and they oh, used yeah. it. Yeah. It's like, oh, Mr. Death, he's, he's showing up early to visit Mr. Uh, Mr. Moccasin. Um, but I, I, I think I think that sound is just in my head constantly now. So when I hear it, it's just normal to me. <laughs> um, I so whenever they crash on Mars, um, I did like that the actual the way that they t- tipped the set vertically actually did give a sense of chaos. That was nice. Um, it was yeah. It was better. There's than, the shot of uh, Marcus and climbing up the ship. Uh, I. I did enjoy that quite a bit as well because it's it's pretty much the same ship from elegy and also whatever i know it's from a movie i can't remember off the top of my head now so it's just that it just shows all you gotta do is turn it sideways and it's an entirely different set and yeah. i like that yeah i like uh there are some lights in the background of the ship that looked like little pac-man <laughs> yeah yeah those are yeah the, that's uh that's the control panel that's been on that it's been on um i shot an arrow to the air that was in the science basement like once the i see these details basement. i don't I don't unsee them, and it's really weird to me. Like I'll, like it doesn't ruin the episode for me, but I'm just like, wow, they really were breaknet being like, we need a space set. Well, we have one. Good. I have seven episodes that we're going to use this set for right now. Like that's what it feels like, <laughs> you know. Um, and credit to them because I mean, we have the luxury of watching these uh, as much as we want, and so I can imagine the average viewer, like week to week, uh, like they wouldn't be so cognizant of that, you know. But it's yeah. it's pretty obvious now. But I, I liked it. Yeah. Um, so after uh, after the cr- crash land, uh, Marcuson's kind of out of it and uh, he's injured under a bunch of rubble and he climbs up to Conrad and they're lying there and you can hear some sort of tapping outside of the ship. And he keeps telling Conrad, we need to open the door. We need to see what's out there. And Conrad doesn't want to. He's uh, he's scared to see what's outside. And. Marcuson's pretty he's hopeful that who's ever out there is going to help him and uh he ends up dying before <laughs> before the door opens yeah. but uh as soon as as soon as he dies the hatch opens and there's tons of human looking Martians standing outside the ship yeah in the, in their uh, summer wear I guess I don't know how to describe it um, yeah they uh, apparently they're so advanced that they can't be bothered with uh, spending time to pick out clothes so they all just wear the same dress <laughs> right um and so uh yeah the picking though i thought was interesting because it's like it does that was creepy like it was because you didn't know what was going to be outside right so i actually kind of yeah. relate I, I kind of agreed with um uh with uh, what's his name uh, conrad that he's like you know what we're here things aren't great 
let's not worry about that right now. Let's worry about you. And then, then of course, Moccasin dies. Yeah, well, I also agree with uh, Marcusin because um, he's going to die anyway. So I'd want to see it too. <laughs> right? <laughs> Traveled so far. And uh, not to see the outside of the ship, is uh, that would be horrible. That would be. And, right. Which it was for him. Uh, so yeah, so the door opens. You see everybody in their summer wear, uh, and there, there's this really awkward moment. Like, I mean, I, McDowell sells it really well. Like he his his face tells a lot without having to say a whole lot because he has a gun in his hand. Because again, you're going in outer space. You got to have a revolver. I don't don't know why you do, but you do. Uh, so he has a revolver. He comes out, sees everybody there. Uh, the one Martian just goes and just grabs it out of his hand without any fight, which I thought was funny. But his curiosity starts taking him over right then and there. Because he actually sees them as, as as human beings and not like Martians. And, and so they look friendly. They so. look friendly, yeah. Uh, especially the Tina. Yes. Tina looks very friendly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, this is something in the short story I mentioned uh, that you get a description of what the aliens actually sound like. Because in this, um, they speak English to him. And he's, he's all confusing. He's like, oh, you speak English. And uh, they're like, no you're actually in like a hypnotic state and you're speaking our language. So again, questionable science, but I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Apparently in the short story, they sound, it's almost like it's a musical language that sounds like birds. Okay. So I I really wish they would have tried to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, the brief aside, have you seen Arrival? yet did you yes, watch that yes. okay yeah I, I have not seen that i mean to but i know the, there's the whole concept of what is language and what is communication and i heard yeah. that they do a really good job of of showing like what we don't think of as communication could be yeah yeah it's uh it's really incredible yeah i didn't even make that connection with this and that but it is almost uh subconscious uh communication that they're doing with amy adams in that film so and there, there could be a little Twilight Zone in Arrival. Nice. I do want to see that. I've been. I just. I don't know why I haven't gotten to it. it it's like, yeah. You know, it's like Paul. Here's some serious sci-fi in the theater. Nah, it's okay. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong yeah. with me. Um, that director is one of my favorite working directors right now. So I, I will go and see anything that man does right now. Oh, excellent. All right. Yeah. So anyway, birds chirping. That's not what we got in this episode. We got a hypnotic field, which for fifty sci-fi. I'm okay with because I know in um yeah it's fine like even in Star Trek you kind of have like this universal translator thing going on it's fine like I I'm like you got to you got to move the story forward somehow and we don't have time I like how um, hey at least they explained it yeah I like how Conrad immediately sits down and he's like okay here's where I'm from and he starts drawing planets in the dirt and it's like <laughs> like they're not surprised <laughs> to see you I think they know where they are you know <laughs> yeah and the, the other guy walks out like. The other one is dead. And he's just like sitting there in the dirt with his finger in the dirt like, oh, yeah. oh, OK. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the whole thing. Like he's now curious. He wants to see their society, um, you know, and but they say, well, we need to get things ready. So they put him back in the ship, which uh, your point about it being like like an enclosed like a, like a cage. I mean, not to not to tip it too much is is also really strong there, too. Yeah. Um, and he's trying to have a connection with Tina because, you know, it's a guy, it's a girl. Like, well, like of all the aliens there, it's like, that's the female looking one. I'm going to talk to her, you know, <laughs> like um, and she actually you get the feeling that like she knows something's go- like something that she's not telling him. Yeah, because uh, she she has the line as she's leaving him in the ship because they're going to prepare somewhere for him to stay um, before the door shot. She says, just remember we are not going to hurt you. 
And then I think she repeats it. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, something bad's going to happen. <laughs> it's like, you, you will not be hurt. You will yeah. not be hurt. It's like, whoa. Yeah. Like, that's, you know, that's not a good first date talk to have there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he, he's feeling better about things. And they let him they let him out in the morning or whatever. He comes out and he's like, they're like, oh, well, we'll show you everything. But we prepared something for you. Um, and this is this is one of, one of the questions I have. Even though you know the ending of the episode, uh, I find it odd that. So they, they build they build him an earth home. Uh, like a recreation of like a house, a you know dining room, all this stuff. Or so, as Paul Fairman would say, a Terran house. <laughs> Terran, nice. That's that's the, the the. I wonder where the term Terran came from because it's actually used in uh, a lot of sci-fi. Yeah, Terra is the Latin word for Earth. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Now, now I know something. Uh, yeah. So, um, my question to you is: even though I don't, I don't think they built the house overnight. That's what they told him. If you could build an Earth home overnight by pulling thoughts out of his brain. Why haven't you made pants? <laughs> I told they can't be bothered with getting dressed. <laughs> they're uh, they're just that advanced. Um, yeah, you know the house. Uh, so they take him to the house, um, and I love he's really excited about the drapes and the TV. But then he ends up drinking some scotch, and he's like, oh, "It's the best scotch I've ever had." And I was sold right then and there. I'm like, "I'm going to Mars. I'm yeah. signing up." He's like, if this is an illusion, say illusion. He's like, if this is a recreation, it's a pretty good one. And then he dabs some liquor behind his ears, which I don't know why you do that. Um, but yeah, I like that. Like the Earthlings' first response is, "This is a nice house. I'm getting drunk." Like, I just, like <laughs> hey, it, it, it's been a long time for him. I probably would too. Right. Um, um. So he, uh, as he's there hanging out, smoking cigarettes, you know, drinking, just enjoying his life. Uh, he he's like, well, I want. I, he starts to try some of the doors and they don't open, and he goes to his front door and it doesn't open. So then he starts freaking out and acting like. And, and this like when you watch the episode again, it's like he's acting like a wild animal, gripping at things and ripping things down, like panicking. And then right behind the big curtains, um, they open up to show what's really going on. Uh, yeah. and, and you see bars, you see people staring at him, and he's starting to realize like. This isn't a house. This is an enclosure. It's a it's a habitat. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and there's a little sign on the front uh, that reads "Earth." Uh, Was it Earth Human or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, um, and then he he quotes Marcuson from the beginning of the episode and says, "People are like all over," and uh, it goes from there. And you see Tina upset in the crowd and leaving the crowd. That. Uh, yeah, because because you can tell he's uh, upset. <laughs> well, it's like if, if everybody's telepathically linked, they know who he is and what his desires are, but they think of humans as lesser beings. It, it's it's hard for me. It's it would be hard for me to if if something from another planet looked exactly like me to be like you know what that's a lesser being. We're going to put it in a cage and stare at it. Uh, though I do understand that people's inclination is to grab things they don't know and try to study it. Yeah, and it feels like they've already judged humanity pretty much before he got there. Well, do you think she's like the Martian equivalent to PETA? Maybe I just but I mean, does she <laughs> does she feel sympathy for him as a person or as an animal? Yeah, I guess that's a, I guess that's a question. Because if she has real feelings for him, then she has feelings for an animal, and that gets like really weird, you know? Like, uh, it wasn't that one of the themes too in Planet of the Apes that you know human and ape aren't supposed to get together as well because humans yeah. were kind of viewed as lower lower citizens yeah yeah that's what i mean there's just so many it, the episode isn't necessarily i mean it all hinges upon this uh twist 
But it, it's not necessarily the same as Planet of the Apes. But there are so many little things in this episode like that that just harken back to or forward to that movie. Yeah. Um, it's just, I feel it's, it's interesting cause it's like the, the Martians themselves clearly, they think they're so advanced, uh, regardless of their pencil society. If they're so, if they're so good at what they do and they're so technologically advanced, why did they have to wait for humans to come to them? You know, it just feels like yeah. and that felt odd to me. Like I almost wish, and this is me rewriting things cause this is what I do that at the beginning, if you saw them doing rocket prep, that there would have been one guy with oddly blonde hair helping with the rocket prep. You know, yeah. something to be like, oh, wow, they, they really already are setting this all up to get people up here. But that's, you know, again, overthinking it. But it just, that just well, felt odd. Well, my real question is, can you smoke a cigarette on Mars <laughs> without <laughs> oxygen? I, well, clearly, Mars is light jacket weather at best. You know, yeah. so uh, there's a lot about Mars we didn't know back then. Uh, even watching The Martian now, which is a great movie. Uh, the writer of that realizes that he's made some errors there too about the way the atmosphere works, and he he doesn't like that he can't go back and change it now. Um, so we're still learning, but yeah, like I don't know if you could if it's Earth habitat. Which then, if you have open bars though, so you're then you're open to whatever atmosphere's there, which we don't know. It could be a bubble city, we don't know. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. I also like that like you saw real quick um, the human the humans the Martians when they're staring at him and he reacted. A couple of them recoiled like a little yeah. bit like out of fear. Uh, yeah, as he he ran towards the uh, the bars yeah. on the window, and a few of them kind of jumped back. <laughs> yeah. So here here's some interesting trivia for the episode. You may already know this. That home set is the same one from Third from the Sun. Third from the Sun. Oh, is it? I didn't see the weird statue. No, the weird statue wasn't there, but the 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 living room was the same living room from Third from the Sun, uh, yeah, which I find set up. I find interesting because that was all about aliens that we find out in the twist are coming to Earth, and this is all about uh, Earthling that gets stuck on Mars in this house. Um, <laughs> like I, I, they're not supposed to be connected whatsoever, but I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, that is. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like th- this is one of those ones that it's going to be. This episode informs a lot of what of what would become in terms of our, our perception of Planet of the Apes. So I feel like it gives that more. But I don't know if it really, it just feels like it adds more to other things, but it isn't really much on its own. Yeah. Like I said, this this hinges almost completely on the twist. Uh, the lead up, there's not really any sense of uh, urgency. There's no, there's no tension for the most part. You get that little hint from Tina that something bad might be going on. Um, and it's Twilight Zone, so you know something's about to happen. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it just... It doesn't really do anything for me until the twist. Yeah. Um, I just didn't. I feel like the first half was running in place. And I get that you got to have the stranding of people. But, like, oddly enough, I shot an arrow to the air, got to the stranding a lot faster than, I mean, even though this is the crash landing, like, that plot got put in place a lot faster than this one. And that was a much worse episode. And I don't know what happened. Yeah, and as much as I love Roddy McDowell, it, he put in a good performance, but there really wasn't a ton to work with. No, and there wasn't a ton to work with for any of these actors. Um, I, I I think my favorite character moment uh, was actually at the beginning, looking through the fence. <laughs> yeah, which is which is strange because it's like the first minute, <laughs> but um, I uh, liked I liked the weird high five handshake that the Martians did in the house as they're leaving. Oh yeah, it's after like, he was satisfied with his uh, with his new home, it was like mission accomplished. <laughs> uh, like it was some kind of weird bro high five handshake. I liked it. It was awesome. 
Well, it's funny because at that time, that's what, uh, like, Serling, or, well, I guess the director decided that's what aliens would shake hands like. And now, <laughs> skip 50 years into the future, that's how everyone high fives. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, well, people are, like, all over, Kevin. I don't know if you know that. Uh, <laughs> with their handshakes and everything. Nobody um, shake ha- shakes hands like this. <laughs> right. Um, no, it was just, it's it's interesting. I, I feel like, though, what, what was it? I had in my notes that um, this feels like a lot like Elegy in the sense that we walked into like they like the spaceman spacemen walked into a situation that they were unfamiliar with there was some comfort and then just to find out they're ultimately going to be on display that if you go point by point it's almost the same thing but elegy had it was just, it was a much more interesting portrayal of that and they also hinted at that man was its own self-destruction too in both of these yeah definitely agree um yeah, the only the only other things I wanted to bring up, uh, back to that beginning scene that I was just talking about. I was I was going to lead into it and then forgot to go into it. Um, he mentions the fact that he wishes that they could just send the mind into space and leave the body on Earth where it belongs. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting because now most of our space travel is just sending robots and droids up. Yeah, and especially to Mars, you know. So it it's basically just sending the mind into space and leaving the <laughs> the human at home. That well, and, and, and uh, most scientists will tell you that it's actually it's man was not meant to exist in the vacuum of space. So it's just easier to send objects that we can yes. report from than it is to send people. Yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Then no, it's it was a forward thought, and there's some there's some good ideas in here, and I bet you that they were even more progressive in the 50s when the story was originally written. Yeah. Um, well, it, even the ending, you know, we've talked so much about Serling being kind of cynical <laughs> of the human race and society in general. And just the whole ending line after he's locked up and deceived that uh, Markson was right, that people are like all over. It's just it, it's it's such a Serling se- sentiment. And so so bizarre to see on something that would be on TV at this time. Yeah. And it's just it's shocking that it was written almost 10 years before this by somebody that wasn't Serling. Yeah. Because no. it, it fits so well into some of the famous episodes that he wrote and some of the twists he came up with. Yeah, and, and, and this feels like this is going to be the formula in terms of, like, um, you know, uncertain, we're comfortable twist, you know, and that's okay, though. This is the stuff that I think that I knew that I wanted while watching yeah. these because this is when you think of Twilight Zone, you think of this feels a lot, this doesn't feel as monumental as, like, Time Enough at Last. No, Which they, no. but but still it's it's trying for that same type of like this guy's on display here's a sign saying it's a human exhibit you know it mm-hmm. was trying to speak to something um i don't feel it stuck the landing but it really well it didn't stick the landing at the beginning of the episode either with the way that crashed that ship uh but <laughs> like it's still it, it was it was interesting i'm not saying i dislike this episode i just feel like it's just kind of in the middle of the road yeah but uh yeah that's, that's all i got um like I say, it just it hinges on the twist. It's a setup and a payoff, and that's literally it. <laughs> yeah. There's not much character development. There's not much as far as plot. It's just setup, twist. That's it. So, um, and I had told you before we started recording that I that the thing I like finding connecting to the episodes sometimes takes me a while to find. This one was really easy, and it's like I said, it surprised me at how easy it was to find connecting material to this episode. If you go to Google and type human zoo, you get a Wikipedia article that goes into the history of various uh, times in history where um, people in power had kept groups of people on display. 
and it is really interesting and also like interesting in the historical sense not interesting as in i wonder if i could own people like that's not the conversation i want to have but the idea of a human zoo like uh it, it even lasted all the way up into uh where was it um actually shortly like within the time frame of this episode like in the 1940s there was even some stuff going on too so it's like it's not really that far away we're talking like 20 years removed from the shooting of this episode there were still displays of people like indigenous wow. people uh then it's it's crazy like the the one i thought was odd it was just a, a single sentence i read in here was uh in 1886, to increase the number of visitors, the Cincinnati Zoo invited 100 native Sioux Native Americans to establish a village at the site. The Sioux lived there for about three months, so they 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 didn't like Cincinnati; they just left. But um, it's it's bizarre, and even like yeah, the 18 that is so strange, like the 1886 Chicago World's Fair, they actually had a whole section devoted to different uh, races of the world and tried to making quote unquote habitats that would relate to what they were. And it sounds beautiful, an idea of like, oh, it's a small world, like that kind of idea. But I, I don't know how it looked. And I wonder how, like, stereotypical they're trying to get the show. These people are savages or whatever, you know. It, yeah. it seemed, um, All right. Let, let's just get some kids to do some shoebox dioramas. All right. Let's <laughs> not. Like, <laughs> I mean, because you got to think, though, at the time, uh, uh, you know, you could live your entire life and not see someone of a different of a different race i mean technically you know like you could there's people that yeah. sh- like just by geography you wouldn't necessarily see this but you'd hear stories so i think there's an inherent fascination for you know people from the far east or whatever you know like and so i could see the curiosity but at the same time that had to that had to have bred so much heartache you know yeah. and it's just it, but it's a it's a hell of an article like it just goes in and describes about all the different different times and yeah You'll have to post that on uh, on the Facebook page. I'm yeah. interested to I'm interested to read that. But I mean, as long as the people are people, I can't survive in the wild. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like if it was me and they're like, Paul, we're going to put you in a house and let you smoke and drink and watch TV. I'd be like, so I was going to say, right. if they if they feed me scotch and uh, pay for my rent and I got a TV, I'm good. Yeah, it's like as long as they're like, you know, I'm like, can I still have video games? Like you can have video games. Like that's fine just like <laughs> I, I i'll go sit in the tire swing sometimes and get angry it's fine just just keep me keep me fed you know like the, have a little little door that opens with little debbie snack cakes and i would not care where you put me it's fine uh so but of all the fates to have happened though that it, 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 for him to be on mars it's like i don't know if that's like it could have been worse <laughs> you know like it seems like he's gonna at least be taken care of as a curiosity yeah yeah but again he's still uh still alone forever <laughs> <laughs> on a distant planet that's, so that's I mean, why they gave him scotch you know that's yeah, that's why that's um, true. but uh yeah all right so yeah let's just go get to the twist i'm gonna give it a three just because it is uh, kind of unique but after thinking about what we've seen already this season it's not that unique but i can still imagine someone watching this for the first time back then being like Oh shit! This is a zoo. Yeah, um, and I, I honestly, like I said, I had forgotten I'd seen this until it got to the twist, and it was still like, oh yeah, oh that is that is kind of a good twist. <laughs> yeah. um, especially with Sir Link's narration, again, just the master at narration. Yeah, his narration um, at the beginning and, and, and exit of this episode is way better than the episode. If that makes yeah. sense, yeah. And that's that's why I love with his adaptations of uh 
these short stories when he does the teleplay for it, he always just makes those tiny little changes that make it less pulpy and just a little bit more <laughs> him, you know? And it's just a, I'm such a big fan. Yeah. And, uh, Man, I'm I'm still deciding what I'm gonna rate this. That's why I'm rambling. Uh, I'm gonna go three point five. Oh, on it. all right. I, I like that you always still have to try to stick it to me to show that you appreciate something more than I do. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's not that. I just I really did enjoy the twist. You're like, um, I give it a three point one. That's what I give. No, <laughs> I tried that once. You called bullshit. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I just uh, the overall episode I didn't enjoy as much as I enjoy the twist in this, if that makes sense. So usually I'm rating the twist lower than the episode. This time I think the twist is better in the overall episode. Yeah, I'll give you that. So so I I, I don't want to rate it uh, too low because um, I think it's a good twist. And like you said, it's it's definitely a precursor for what we think of when we think of Twilight Zone twists. Yeah. So got to give it some credit there absolutely so all right so that's uh that's going to do it for people are like all over as we found out that they are like all over uh kevin how can people get a hold of us um we are on the facebooks um you can find us on there join the conversation strange highways uh emails at strange highways podcast at gmail.com if you want to write us any uh feedback voicemails emails we'll read them on the show let us know what you think of our show let us know what you think of the twilight zone episodes um and then you can find us and subscribe to us on itunes stitcher radio google play music and uh you can always rate and review us on there it would help us out greatly yeah uh so next ep- ep- uh, episode is execution uh starring the the professor from gilligan's island uh, I, I just know because of the screenshot on netflix um and i think we're dealing with kind of time travel but kind of also the old west so this could be kind of fun um it's been a while since we've done something from the west since uh mr denton on doomsday well it can only go up from there uh (laughs) i see the name of the episode's execution and i see in the synopsis 19th century murderer so this sounds up my alley yeah pumped all right so uh yeah till next week um have i guess um if you go to the zoo don't make sure that you know you get stuck there but if you do at least hopefully they give you good liquor yeah uh (laughs) and and if you are stuck there uh at least you have an out just drink yourself to death i don't know (laughs) it's a good way to end the episode right nice hopeful ending Is this a Martian house? Is this the way you live? Oh, no. Ours are considerably different. We built this during the night because we assumed this is the way you people live.